0: The Lord is good. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, worship team. What's the Lord doing with us? Wonderful things. (laughs) Well, what I want to exhort us into is, I think, something that many of us have already been feeling, and I just want to say it out loud, I guess. But I feel like the Lord is wants us to step into uh, this corporate identity of intercession. So we all have individual identities, and we're pretty good at those in the sense that we're Westerners, right? So we think our individuality is really important, and it is. And yet there's this whole corporate identity that most people don't even realize that they have. In fact, what happens sometimes is that people begin to study uh, about the importance of uh, Israel or Hebraic thinking. And something strange happens because they become like anti-Greek as if Greek thinking and Greek rationality and individuality is bad, but did you know that it's not? That's a fallacy. Did you know that? That's a fallacy. So what people do is that they, like, they swing out of this individuality, but what we don't realize is that it's not just this corporate identity in reality, but when you... Look at a Hebraic reality, it's actually this amazing combination of both. A biblical identity values the individual, is very rational, but then also includes this corporate identity. This is why people who start studying their Hebrew roots, if they isolate and divide and it leads to to separation, You don't get the importance of Israel. To get Israel, you have to realize the corporate identity that God is inviting inviting all the nations into through Israel. That's why the new covenant text is made with this corporate body of Israel. So you don't get Israel just because you're studying Jewish roots. You have to step into this corporate identity. I'm hearing crickets. And so God wants us to step into this corporate identity. And specifically, this is what's happening. You can already sense it in the last several weeks and really further but it's it's this corporate identity of intercession that he wants us to take a hold of to embrace because you don't you can't reach your fullness in God if you don't recognize and step into your corporate identity so no condemnation I mean the Lord was his presence is so peaceful this morning It's about repentance, but it's very clean, right? It's very clean this morning. So no condemnation, condemnation condemnation-free zone, but we have to step into this corporate reality. And yes, it's difficult for us as hyper-individuals in the West. So I feel like this High Holy Day season that there's this subtitle happening, and I want you to hear it. And it's this lifestyle of intercession that he is inviting us into. And at Rosh Hashanah, we were prophesying in the return of the king, right? And this, these appointed times are specific events that you, you can't observe the Moedin by yourself, Right? That was God, I guess. <laughs> right? People often come and they talk about Sabbath. How do I observe Sabbath? Well, how do you observe Sabbath by yourself? How do you uh, blast the shofar by yourself, right? How do you do the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, by yourself? Sukkot, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Can you go to a wedding by yourself? It's not a wedding, is it? So these are corporate events. They're not just another event on the calendar. And I was showing this on Rosh Hashanah through Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm still reverberating. Should I move somewhere? Left or right? No? You know, Yeshua has a, a model for us. And, and Dylan was talking about this in his Dirach. He was talking about how we see it in Romans chapter 8 that Yeshua dies, Yeshua is resurrected, he ascends into heaven, and then it says that he's interceding on our behalf. And a few months ago, Asher and Trader did a teaching video about this, and he was saying that do you know what that means? That means that for the last 2,000 years, the main thing that Yeshua has been doing is interceding on your behalf, on the behalf of humanity. Who wants to be like Yeshua? The main thing Yeshua has been doing for 2,000 years is interceding for humanity. And that same Section in Romans 8 talks about us being conformed to his image. So, this is a part of your identity. We have to step into this. We have to become like him and step into this intercessory reality that is Yeshua. This is who he is. And so, in some sense, we're end time prophets. Corporately speaking, you are an end time prophet. Now, how many of you see yourself as an end time prophet? We got one in the back, two, three, okay. But corporately, remember you have two identities, you have an individual identity, you may be are different gift sets that we all have, shepherd, teacher, intercessor, pro, maybe, maybe not. Corporately, you are an end time prophet. We have to start seeing ourselves that corporately we are end time prophets, and you could also say priests. Because what do prophets and priests mainly do? They make intercession on behalf of the people. That's our calling. Who is our great high priest? Who's the great prophet? Right? He came as the prophet and the priest, and so we're able to step into this identity in Yeshua. So people say, well, I want to put my identity in Yeshua first. Right? We all believe that. This is how we do it. This is how you step into becoming like Yeshua, As he became the great high priest. He became the prophet of Israel and of the nations. Now, he was anointed king, and he is yet to be king. So we don't get to rule and reign in this, this amazing sense yet. There's this aspect, where which is not dominion theology, where we take over all the earth, and then once we do that, he comes back. That doesn't happen yet. But we enter into this reality of being prophets and, and priests, and this is what it is, means to step into who he created us to be. Another way to look at it is, it's about your, your identity. And identity is about understanding your, your position in the battle. So think about it. If you don't know your identity, and you're at war, then you, and you don't know what position you are, then you can't be very effective, right? If you you think you're supposed to be a tank commander and you don't know how to, to drive the tank, there's a big problem there, right? Or if you are a tank commander and you decide, I'm going to battle and nobody else got the memo, you're in trouble, aren't you? So there's this chain of command and when it comes to your corporate identity leadership becomes really important leadership the general is the one who tells the colonel is the one who tells the lieutenant who tells the sergeant who tells the private or something like that right So. To have this corporate identity, what I'm saying is, as one of your, your leaders and elders, and the Lord is saying this to us, this is a part of your identity. As the kingdom living family, as, as Jews and Gentiles, as this tikkun global family, God is calling us to this intercessory dimension. This is a part of who He's created you to be, and He's inviting us all to step into this. In fact, what's happening right now at Kingdom Living is the the pillar of fire is moving. God is shifting things, and He's purifying us right now. And it's been a month or two of serious purification that... just happened to be during Elul, just happened to be during Rosh Hashanah and the 10 days of awe. But God is doing this. It isn't like, oh, the calendar and it starts. It's like there's something unique that's happening right now. And I've said this a few times, but he he desires that no child will be left behind. But our educators laugh. But you have to say yes to this repentance. You have to say yes to this calling. You have to say yes to this new dimension because that's where he's going. And it's not like just deliberate sin. He's revealing blind spots. He's, he's purifying us. Revelation 22, he says, The Ruach and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes freely take the water of life. This is our corporate identity, where the bride, unified with the Spirit here, is doing what? prophesying in the way to the living water. This is interceding on behalf of Israel and the nations. This is this, this cry for Hoshiana. We're to prophesy in. What do prophets do? Prophets call people to covenantal faithfulness. That's what prophets do. So we're calling the people of God to a higher level of covenantal faithfulness. We're calling people who don't know God to a covenant faithfulness relationship. So that's why we're prophesying in his return. And that's the second aspect of this. Uh, the spirit and the bride say come, right? We're also saying Bo Yeshua unified as a bride and unify with the Ruach HaKodesh. So we're interceding for the lost, and we're interceding for his return, which is exactly what the Lord's doing right now. Like I said, I'm just saying out loud what I feel like the Lord is already doing. This isn't like, we need to do this. This is, he's doing this, and I want us to recognize it and embrace it as a part of our identity and who he's called us to be. Because do you know you'll be more satisfied in Him, you'll be more joyful in Him when you step into who He's created you to be. And that's why participating in the Fall Holy Days is such a big deal, because these are corporate prophetic acts, right? They're not just another meeting and we come and it's like, oh, that was neat, that's in the Bible, right these are prophetic acts we have to come prepared that's why a few weeks ago rich was saying one of the biggest things that you can do as a member of kingdom living is show up show up why i mean think about this is so opposed if you're satan and you know you're not hallelujah but if you're satan and you realize these are corporate prophetic events that intercede for the salvation of the world and the return of Yeshua, do you want them to show up? Not at all. So if you've been having some trouble getting to service, welcome to the club. (laughs) Right? Welcome to the club. But none of this woe is me it's called opposition, folks. This is called what it means to be one of the ketoshim, one of the saints of God, to be set apart. This isn't supposed to be comfortable and easy. You've already lived in America. What more do you want? In the 21st century, nonetheless. Take it up with the Lord. A little deeper look here at this what it means to prophetically re- call for his return we were singing Hoshiana and I want us to get this because Hoshiana means please save us please save us And when you look at all the Moedim, this is actually the cry of every single appointed time. Is please save us as we're prophesying in the salvation of our God. We're prophesying in the salvation of Israel and the nations. We're prophesying Yeshua, right? Hoshion, it has his name in it. Hoshion is Yeshua, Yeshua. You can hear it in there. We're we're calling forth Him and His salvation. And here's what I want you to get. All of the Moedim, all the appointed times, find their meaning and fulfillment in Yeshua. I'll say it again. All the Moedim find their full meaning and fulfillment in Yeshua, in salvation. Which is another reason why it's a really big deal to show up and enter into this. Because you're literally entering into your identity in Yeshua. When we look at all the different feasts, what do we have? Passover. It's all about what? Salvation. What is resurrection? He rose from the dead and conquered death. It's all about our salvation, eternal life. What is Shavuot? It's all about salvation, empowerment from the Holy Spirit to be able to walk and live in this age by the power of the Spirit to do righteousness unto salvation. What is the Feast of Trumpets? It's this blowing, that the fact that the kingdom is coming to the earth, that Yeshua and salvation are coming to the earth. What is Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is this day where he atones the earth and he brings judgment unto salvation for all the Kedushim. And what is Sukkot? It's the celebration of all this salvation. This is the wedding supper of the Lamb, of the salvation. And Shabbat is a taste of this every single week, a taste of salvation of heaven on earth. So, this every aspect of the, the fullness of the Moedim have to do with Yeshua, his salvation. So, it's not about being under the law or something like that, it's about being in Yeshua. It's this privilege. And if you're taking on this identity as a Messianic con- as a member of our congregation, you're stepping into this. Hallelujah. I think I'm going to cut out some things. when yeshua comes in on palm sunday they're they're waving the palm branches if you remember and they're crying out hoshiana to the son of david they're crying out baruch haba b'shem adonai well, the problem there is they're, they're wanting his salvation. They're, they're, they're proclaiming his kingship. They're, they're asking for him to save them from their enemies, right? But it's missing this important aspect of the salvation. In fact, they think the Messiah has come, and he has, so much so they think it's like, it must be Sukkot. Let's get the palm branches and wave them, right? But what happens is, there still needs to be repentance. Right? If you're going to claim for the king to come, and you're going to say, save us, that step one is proclaiming his kingship, but there has to be repentance. And so the cross had to come to make a way for the kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom to come. It's similar to back in the garden. It's like one of the reasons Adam and Eve had to get kicked out of the garden was because if they ate the tree of life in their sin well, well they, they had to be purified of that sin. they couldn't have this eternal fruit. Without purification, we we have to enter into this repentance, this blood of Yeshua that would come unto eternal life. And so this is when I was referring on Rosh Hashanah to Isaiah 18. I love this passage. When the shofar blows Shema. And we need to enter into this this Shema lifestyle, this listening and obeying listening and obeying listening and turning and responding because what happens in nehemiah that i skipped over briefly was the fact that when they opened up the torah scrolls they began to grieve and they began to weep for their sin because this proclamation of the king leads to repentance and right now, we're, we're in the midst of the, the days of awe, which are also known as the days of judgment. And we want to be judged for good, not for evil, right? But here's what happens. When we pledge our allegiance to the king, it requires this deeper repentance. It's not just a, all right, let's pledge allegiance to the king. There it is. He's like, okay. Shema, now listen and obey me. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, you need to listen and you need to obey. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So listen and obey. And we have to grieve for our sin when we listen to him and he brings that conviction to us. And we need to create systems in our life that people will point out our blind spots. Because it's not enough to just think that you on your own will be able to do this. There's no example of that in scripture. It's a corporate. Israel is this example of a corporate identity. They're, they're led corporately by leadership. Earthly leadership. And there's, they're coming together on, in the name of God, representing his kingdom on the earth. But I want to point out this passage because I, I feel like we, we need to step into this a little bit this is Zechariah chapter twelve, verse ten. And this is this end time mourning for their sin. It says, Then I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. When they look toward me whom they pierced, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So what happens here, remember this is at the end of the age. And that the king is coming, but that true repentance leads to mourning and grieving for your sin. In fact, if you think about it, it says that they look upon him whom they pierce. But the Jewish people actually didn't kill Yeshua, did they? The Romans, literally the Romans did, right? What does this mean? This means they are, they are truly recognizing that their sin is what put him on the cross. There, this is a deep revelation of how Yeshua paid for your sin. And he paid for my sin. This is a deep, deep revelation. So much says says that they mourn like one who mourns for a firstborn son. Did you know that that is about the greatest mourning you can have according to Scripture? Did you know that's the kind of mourning the Lord wants us to have for our own sin? It's not just neat. It's not just oh, this is the time of year we repent. He wants us to mourn like you lost your firstborn son. If you have a firstborn son, I invite you to consider that God would take that son from you and the type of mourning that you would enter into. Is that how we're grieving for our sin? Or are we okay with it? Are we okay? I mean, we're going to sin again next week. So, what's the little one here, right? Are you okay with it? To be end time prophets, we have to act and live like end time prophets. There's this called a radical repentance, it's a radical lifestyle. We're, We're called to be part of this radical remnant. Have you sensed it, how you're getting more and more radical compared to the world out there? Join the club. This is, that's good. We need this Shema lifestyle because it's through this radical repentance and it's through this listening, obeying that we actually get the joy. This grieving for your sin, it sounds really hard. But what happens is, is you enter into this supernatural joy as you acknowledge your sin. As you acknowledge that you can't do it without Him. As you acknowledge the the death that your sin has brought to so many people and to yourself. That something supernatural happens. It goes beyond this age. And you step into this level of joy. And we're going to need this joy. Because why? Because the shofar also represents tribulation, doesn't it? It also represents judgment. And Rich was just reading this seventh shofar blast, the seventh trumpet blast. But what happens right before that is called the end time tribulation or or Jacob's trouble, right? And if we don't have this, this confidence in our Lord, if we don't have this joy as our strength in the midst of the suffering and the pain and the trials, we're going to struggle. In fact, Asher and Trader was talking about this a few months ago, too. He was saying how that this pre-tribulation rapture theology is one of the greatest deceptions in the church right now and the reason is is because it, we're going to start looking around and seeing all this trouble and you're like how could God do that and we're going to begin if we believe in that to, to what question his goodness remember Rich was imparting that to us a few weeks ago that we have to trust uh, in a hundred he is a hundred percent good because when you look at the, the fifth trumpet It says In those days people will long to die But death will flee from them That's the fifth trumpet The sixth trumpet is A third of mankind will be killed See the chapter before the seventh trumpet Is all about the two witnesses Which are men of God Who called down plagues on the world. Judgment on the world. God is doing this. It's, it's like Moses and Aaron. They're worldwide plagues. And it says that they will be tormenting those who dwell on the earth. Can you imagine, we have a, a hurricane, and as some National pastor says that's the judgment of God. People just freak out. God would never bring judgment? Really? You read this book? Right? There's going to be a, we have to talk about the judgment. The shofar has to do with the tribulation as well. It's not a fun topic. I get it. But this is the time right now. We're in the 10 days of judgment right now. This is on the calendar when it will almost assuredly be happening. And if we are alive, if we aren't secure in his joy, if we're not secure in him, we're going to struggle when we see these prophets of God calling down death on other people. Who are you to judge? Do we truly believe he's 100% good? I don't want to be deceived. So, what I'd like to do is something a little unusual. If the worship team could come. I would like to invite us to all come forward. And what I'd like to do is just pray into this. I want us to pray into receiving this corporate identity as end-time intercessors. Did you know that just down the street, Mike Bickle and IHOP, they're trying to raise up, true story, 100 million intercessors for Israel. Have you heard this? A hundred million intercessors for Israel. Now, I'm not saying that we're called to do this full full-time, 24-7 prayer. That's not what I'm inviting us into. I'm inviting us into a holistic lifestyle of intercession. You can still have a job, you can still have a family, but we can enter into this corporate identity as intercessors on behalf of Israel and the nations. And that's what I want to invite us into, and I believe the Lord wants to release joy to do that. He wants to strengthen us to do that. But he also wants to call us to this greater level of repentance. So if you're willing to step into that and receive this, I would ask you to come forward now. I want us to step into this Shema lifestyle where we're constantly listening and obeying. We're constantly listening and interceding for what God would have us to intercede for. So let's just pray in the spirit for a minute.